telling you, it is wet here in Southwest Florida. Yes, we have been having a lot of rain. It is soaking around here. The ground is saturated. We get rain every day the last few days. It is wet in Southwest Florida. Of course, it's the rainy season, but it's still really wet. Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I guess you didn't tune in to our program, Faith Is, to get a weather report from Southwest Florida, but it still is wet. It's the rainy season, and it's wet. Uh, what's that got to do with anything we want to talk about today? Well, I was thinking about all of this rain we've been having and how some of us get a little tired of that. And that's just because we get tired of things. I, in many respects, I'm glad for the rain. I know where you live, you're glad for the rain. But I was thinking there are some places and maybe some people listening to the program today where they haven't had rain in a very long time. Maybe they need rain. Maybe it's the time of year when their crops need rain. Maybe there's a drought like out west in this country. And I thought, you know, if I, if I get on here and lament about so much rain, some people are going to get a little tired of that and they're going to wonder what in the world is he talking about we need rain send it to us well i'd send it to you if i could but really i wanted to introduce that idea so we could begin to think about things along with the lesson we want to study from the scriptures today you know in in southwest florida we're used to the rain this time of year in fact it's rare to go two or three days without rain without a thunderstorm i mean we don't just have rain we have thunderstorms and we had one last night a lot of lightning a lot of rain and the ground is so saturated that it floods easily a groundwater flood nothing nothing dangerous it's not that kind of flood for us and so we're used to rainy season and dry season and to be truthful by the time the dry season is over which is during the winter here we're all hoping longing wanting praying for rain because it gets so very dry. Well, what's what's that got to do with what we want to talk about today? Well, I think we sometimes forget that God responds to people and nations based on their behavior. I think God responds to areas of the world based on their behavior, and that's represented in the story we want to look at from Jeremiah today. And so, while I don't have any insight into the way God thinks, and I can't say that there's a part of the country that's particularly blessed because they're doing right, and so God is giving them lots of rain, I can't say that. I can't say, on the other hand, that there are parts of the world that are suffering drought because they've been, un been unfaithful to God, and that God is withholding the rain to try to get their attention. Now, while I can't say that definitively, because God is God, and he knows what he's doing, and we trust him. I can say that based upon the Bible and what we learned there, that we should pay attention. When we get in a jam of one kind or another, we should pay attention and ask, do we need to turn to God and ask him for help and admit that we've gone the wrong way and agree that we're to turn back to him and plead with him to send us, if in the case of a drought, rain? I think there's a connection there we shouldn't overlook. I also think that sometimes the weather is the weather, and we just have to manage whatever comes our way. But the story we're going to look at today is very specific that God does respond to people and nations based on their behavior. 
Well, as I said, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, where we challenge each other, stretch each other in God's direction, because we want to be the kind of people who have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, because we talk about faith around here as being absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and we want to trust Him. And I'm the pastor of regular church in Cape Coral, Florida, Diplomat Wesleyan Church. We bring you these programs because we want to help you. We hope you find value in them. We hope you find encouragement. We hope you find guidance that you can follow God more faithfully and with more confidence. That's why we do all of this. And and you know, I don't say this very often. I'm a terrible promoter. I always feel like whenever I promote something that relates to me, that people will assume I'm a self-promoter. I guess I've seen enough of that in the church and in other places that I just don't want to be, shall we say, that guy. So I hope you won't think that because that's not what I'm trying to do. But what I would like to encourage you to do is consider sharing this program with a friend. If you find it's helpful, maybe it spurs you to think differently about some things that you hadn't thought about. Maybe it encourages you to to understand what God is doing in the world and how we can follow him faithfully. Uh, whatever, if it if it's of value to you, would you consider sharing that with someone that you know and encouraging them to listen to it, either by listening on the America Out Loud network when we broadcast it, or if you listen by podcast, share the podcast with them and say, hey, give a listen to this guy. This particular week, this might have something that would help you. If you'd do that, that would mean an awful lot because it won't so much be about me or about you. It'll be about how God can help people. And that's really what we want to do. We want to point people in God's direction because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. We just do what we do because God has given us abilities to do that. And so we try to represent him to the best of our abilities. So if you can share that, that'd be a great thing. I think uh, God would be pleased and your friend might just find some help and encouragement from what we do. Well, we want to take a look today at a parable from the Old Testament. Now, generally, we think of parables as being something that Jesus told, a story that Jesus told in the New Testament, and that's true. Generally, we do think of them that way. But in Jeremiah, there was a there was a story that, that Jeremiah tells us that he lived, and it's actually God's revelation to him of, of a, an incident that he participated in and that uh, God used to teach him and now to help us learn some important lessons about how God operates in our world and what he thinks about what we do. So we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 18, and you may be familiar with Jeremiah's field trip, we might say, down to the potter's house. He went down to the workshop where the potter was working, and God used the illustration of the potter to explain some important things to Jeremiah and to us. So to get started, let's read that story. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. That's the English translation I usually use. There are many good ones. I would encourage you to find the English translation that helps you understand and that you will read. There are many good ones. If you're just getting started with the Bible, try the message. The more I use it, the more I like it. And some people say, oh, you can't use that. It's just a paraphrase. Well, uh, okay, I understand its limitations, but I also understand its advantages. So you need to find the English translation that'll help you understand. And, and there are many good ones out there. The New International Version, the New Living Translation, uh, this Christian Standard Bible that I use. 
find one that you will understand. If you don't know where to look, ask your pastor. He can help you. Just be aware, sometimes we who are pastors, we have our prejudices, and we only recommend one and only one that we think is the one. Well, that's fine. We do have our preferences. I don't deny that. But don't be afraid to explore some other ones and read them. And you can check them out free online. You can do some searching and sample them and uh, then get one that you will read. Okay, Jeremiah 18, chapter 1 from the Christian Standard Bible. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar, as it seemed right for him to do. The word of the Lord came to me, House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, House of Israel. At one moment I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However, if that nation about which I have made the announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do to it. At another time, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. However, if it does what is evil in my sight by not listening to me, I will relent concerning the good I had said I would do to it. So now, say to the men of Judah and to the residents of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and your deeds. Well, God speaks pretty plainly to us right there, doesn't he? He gives it to us pretty straight so we can understand. He uses the potter's illustration, and I think most of us are probably at least a little bit aware that a, that a potter will fashion a, as it says here, a jar or other objects. I have some couple here in my office that are the result of a potter's work. And yes, potters work on things, and sometimes it doesn't turn out the way they want to. And as Jeremiah notices from the potter's operation there in Jeremiah 18, sometimes he changes what he's doing. And God is saying, can't I operate the same way over my creation? The potter manages his creation. Can't I, God, operate that way over my creation? So a few observations about this story to get us started in thinking about it. And we're going to kind of think out loud here together as we walk down through this and um, listen to the voice of God. You may hear something else that God has to say to you in your specific situation. Sometimes we talk about the scriptures and I talk about certain things, but people hear other things and they wonder where that came from. Well, listen carefully. When we look at the word of God, God speaks and we can listen. So the first thing I want us to notice is that the potter formed the jar. And it was the potter's decision to form that jar, as it's described in Jeremiah. The potters do that. They decide what they're going to make. And so they start making it. An interesting parallel to that is that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read how God formed people. Similar material, in fact, uh, quite a lot different outcome. Uh, a person is a lot different from a jar, from a jar of clay. 
But it's interesting, the parallels, the potter formed and God formed. It's interesting that the potter is sovereign over the jar he or she is creating. They have control over that. They can make it large. They can make it small. They can change the shape from round to oblong, I suppose, whatever they want to do. They can put a certain kind of handle on it. They can do all kinds of things because they're sovereign over the jar. In the same way, God is reminding us that he is sovereign over his creation. God is God. And can I be blunt? You are not. Of course, I'm not. God is God, and he is sovereign over creation. In the same way, a potter can do whatever he or she wants with the jar. God can do as he pleases with creation. Now, don't miss that. Some people seem to think God is just absent, or they can get away with things that God won't notice or something. No, God God is sovereign. He notices everything. And in the same way that the potter takes care of the jar and makes it the way he or she wants it, God can handle creation the way he purposes to handle it. Now, the good news, and we'll add this here, this thought before we go on, the good news is that that God has revealed himself to us as a God who loves his creation. And so what God pleases to do is to love his creation, in this case, people, because the comparison is largely between people and the potter's jar. God loves people, and he wants good for people. And that's important. You know, sometimes when people think about God being sovereign, they they then ask, well, what does that mean? Does that mean God can do whatever he wants to, even if he wants to get us? Well, if you believe in sovereignty, you would have to say, yeah, God can get us if he wants to. But the curious thing is, going down that road has to forget that God has revealed himself as a God of love. And so we don't have to worry about appeasing God, because God has already said that he wants good for his creation, for people, for you. God is not mad at people. There's a guy that I like a lot, have never met, disagree with him a lot. But I think we'd be friends, and uh, he reminds people that God isn't mad at them. God's not mad at any of us. He pleases to do good towards his creation. Now, here's where some other people have some difficulties, though. The potter, clearly in the story, the potter can change, it's probably a him in this story, his mind. Today, a potter could change her mind. The pottery items I have in my office were made by a by a lady in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. She could have changed her mind about these, and maybe in the making she did. I don't know. A potter can clearly change his or her mind. And some people express a little concern because here in this passage, God is describing himself as a God that can change his mind. And he can. Now, that causes heartburn for people because people might say, well, I thought the Bible said God never changes. So how are you now saying that God might change his mind? Well, I don't think that's really too complicated for us to wrestle with. God's character does not change, but there's plenty of evidence in the Bible that God changes his behavior in response to our behavior. 
And some people struggle with this idea, but I, I don't think it's inconsistent with the Bible at all. God limits himself to allow for human freedom. And so he adjusts to the things that we do. You may remember the story in the Old Testament where a guy named Abraham was pleading for God to be merciful to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he kept lowering the standards. Well, God, if you find this many people, if you find this many people, and God kept agreeing with him, God changed his mind in response to Abraham's request. This is not God changing his character. This is God allowing people into the process and and responding to us in a way that it's just kind of mind-blowing that God would respond to us in this way. But he seems to limit his, his behavior so that he can respond to our faithfulness or uh, unfaithfulness. You know, it could be either one. God can, can correct us when we go astray, and that's a behavior, or God can reward us when we go the right way. Now, it's important in all of this understanding, and I hope you've heard me say that God's desire toward people is good. He wants our well-being. Now, the potter, the potter can do whatever he or she wants to do. They can be capricious with the jar. Anything, they can just get mad about something else and destroy the jar and start over for any and every reason. It's important for us to realize that God does not real, reveal himself here in Jeremiah, or really any place else, as a capricious God. He doesn't just act on whims or or which way that the wind blows or the sun shines or anything like that. He's a God who acts in response to evil. And primarily, that's the reason we see him taking action in the Scriptures. He responds to evil, responds to faithfulness or unfaithfulness. So when God sees evil, he responds to correct that evil, or ultimately, if you read the end of the book of Revelation, or through the book of Revelation, I should say, the end of the Bible, you discover that God crushes evil. So he responds to evil by crushing it, and now he responds to evil by trying to correct us so we don't participate in evil. So if you want to say, he changes. Yes, he does change his response based on our faithfulness or unfaithfulness. If you're unfaithfulness, un- unfaithful and know it, God's going to correct you. It's called conviction. If you're faithful, you're going to feel the liberation of following God with a whole heart and not have to worry about what's going to happen because you know that God is faithful based on your faithfulness. Or sometimes we talk about allegiance. I like to use that word to say that, you know, we need to demonstrate our allegiance to God. That's what being a Christian is or a follower of Jesus is allegiance to God. And so if we demonstrate our allegiance to God, that's good. If we betray God and his trust in us, that's bad. So it's either allegiance or betrayal in some sense of that. So point is that God is not capricious. He responds based upon the things that we do, and he responds to evil that we pursue or that we turn away from. The potter can be capricious, but God is not. God is consistent with his character, but he acts toward people with kindness and goodness and a desire for our best, 
And part of that desire for best is a willingness to correct evil and to point us in the right direction, give us the opportunity to change, to repent, to do what's right. Now, continuing these illustrations, and I realize some of them break down as we go along, but but let's be- benefit from what we can. The potter, in, in almost every case I could imagine, wants a good finished product. I don't know why the potter would want a bad finished product, because if a potter is running a business, they want to sell their product to the customer. So they want it to be perfect. They want it to be what it was intended to be. And and so the potter wants a good finished product rather than having to salvage the jar or settle for a, a, a da- damaged or flawed product and try to sell that. They don't want to waste the work. They want to get it done. And so when the potter sees that there's a problem with it, the potter might destroy that jar and start over. Well, God prefers righteous behavior over destruction. God is not in the destruction business. And we need to remind ourselves of that. That's true over and over in the scriptures, that God always wants to heal and make whole. He does not want to destroy. Ultimately, he will respond to evil, and he will crush evil because evil hurts his creation. And in that sense, he's standing up for his creation, for people and all of creation. But God prefers righteous behavior, and he wants to help us live that out. Another observation we should make is that in this passage, it's clear that God is specifically warning the people of Judah and Jerusalem. However, it's also clear from the context of this parable, this passage in Jeremiah 18, that this same warning, this same message can be applied to other nations and people. Now, a few weeks ago, you may have listened and heard our discussion of Amos and the plumb line judgment, and we talked about that and what God was saying there. And at that point, you may remember, I said that I didn't think that the Amos story was applicable to nations. It seemed very focused on God's people and very specific to that. But here, based on the context, I wouldn't keep it just to Jerusalem and Judah. There's too many indications that this is applicable to nations in general, people in general. So this story is very clear that we as nations, we as individuals are subject to God's evaluation and then God's decision about how to respond to our behavior. It's not God being capricious. It's God saying, look, this is the way you're supposed to live. So please, Live this way. Whether we're individuals or we're nations or groups or kingdoms, you can read the scriptures and find different descriptions of the people God is talking about. And you can here in Jeremiah 18 as well. And all of these are mentioned with enough specificity. Well, there's a big word you don't want to say too many times over that God is making it clear that we as individuals are accountable and nations are accountable. You know, it's a, it's a fearsome thing to think this, but we have to be honest with ourselves before God. There's little doubt in my mind and the minds of many that God blessed this nation, the United States of America, and helped it be built, founded on biblical principles. Not to say the nation has always been perfect. Oh, my goodness. We know that's not true. 
But we can also see the hand of God helping give wisdom to the people that made decisions. And so now we have a nation that has lasted a long, long time compared to other nations around the world. And we have a constitution that's outlasted other constitutions around the world. So we need to give thanks to God for that. But we also need to remember that we are not exempt from God's judgment. It applies to all people and all nations, and we need to take that seriously. Now, people then say, well, have you given up on this country? No, I haven't. I don't think God has at this point. I see enough evidence that gives me hope that God has not given up on us, but it also reminds me that we should not take God's patience for granted. And we as a nation, in so many ways, have been turning what God says upside down and inside out. We've making we've been making wrong right and right wrong, and we need to knock that off, and we need to get back to what God says is right and true and just, and follow Him. You know, in, in some respects, God is saying through this passage here, God is saying to all of us, "Your future is in your hands." Now that that becomes a daunting thing to some people, but I don't want it to be daunting. I want us to realize that. It's all about our decision to follow him faithfully. And so on that basis, it is in our hands. You know, it's, it's kind of the God saying, shape up or get shipped out. You know, human freedom, the, the, the freedom to choose to follow God also means that we have a responsibility to follow God. And in these days, we have all kinds of evidence that people want to shift the responsibilities that they've taken on to other people, and they want to get out from under their responsibilities, God is not going to be tricked by any of our messing around, okay? God says, listen, you need to do what I say. You need to follow what I say. If I say stop doing it, you need to stop. If I say start doing it, you need to start. And it's, it's there, and I don't, I don't dare give you a specific start or stop other than I can point to you like the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Those, I can point to those specific commandments. But sometimes there are things that God is prompting people to do, and they just don't want to do it. For whatever reason, they just don't want to do it. Now, people might say, well, I understand sin means I should stop stealing or I should stop lying. Yes, that's true. There are things to stop. That's important. But sometimes faithfulness means we need to take initiative and start doing some things. And I think that's the biggest aspect of following Jesus that people miss. They think they can just sit on their blessed assurance, as a friend of mine once said, and do what they want to as long as they think nice things about God and and don't do the murder, stealing, lying, all that stuff. Well, if God is prompting you, and you know it if he is, if he's not, you'll know that too. But if God is saying do this, then that's part of our responsibility to shape up or get shipped out. That's important. Now, I want you to notice the response of the people to Jeremiah's message, because we have recorded Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11, which I read. And that's important. That's the parable of the of the uh, Potter's story. That's God helping us understand 
And it stops short in what we read of telling us the response of the people. Now, I didn't read the response of the people because that's not the scripture that we usually read in church when we come to this passage, and, and we'll be reading that at our church. I stopped because at that point, that's where the reading stops, but it's also at the point that God is urging people to correct their ways. See, the last verse there, verse 11, when God is speaking specifically to the men of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem, he says, look, I'm about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and deeds. God is urging us toward correction. And that's why I stopped there, because I want to make the first part of this clear that God is not interested in anything but correction. God is interested in saving people. Salvation is his goal, not crushing us. He wants to make us whole and holy. And so he urges people in verse 11 to turn from your evil ways, correct your ways and your deeds, do what's right. But the story in Jeremiah also includes the response of the people. And we're going to get to that when we come back from our break. But it, during this time, I want you to think about why wouldn't you follow God's correction? Why wouldn't you go God's way? What's to keep you from enjoying the blessing of God by heeding the words of God and doing what God called you to do? There's blessing in doing that, and I want you to have the blessing. But we'll talk about the response of the people in just a minute when we get back. And I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, where we help each other have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we're going to do more of that when we get back after the break. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. 
So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. We're back. I hope you had a nice little break there and had a little chance to think about God's admonition to us that, that he wants us to turn from our evil ways and get right with him and make sure our deeds are deeds of righteousness. You know, what did he say? I'm about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and your deeds. And that's what we want to do. That's what God wants us to do. And we should not shrink from that. We should stretch to that. Because when we stretch toward what God is asking us to do, then we are demonstrating absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. We have faith. And here on Faith Is, we want to have faith. Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we've been looking at Jeremiah 18, and specifically the end of that, where God is admonishing the people of Judah and Jerusalem, really admonishing all of us, that he wants us to turn to him and to follow what's right, to turn away from the evil way, to correct ourselves and our deeds so that we can be in right relationship with him, and we can not have to worry about God's plans to Take care of evil, because we will be his and he will be ours. And so I encouraged us to think about that, and now I want to take it one verse further. Now, the verse that we read ended with this desire on God's part, with his admonishment to us, to get it right, because that's what he wants. God always prefers that. He does not want to have to harm his creation. He does not want to have to confront the evil that we do or that is in us. He wants us to be his. But verse 12, again, is part of God's message to us, and so it should serve as a warning, but it's really quite disturbing. God continues his summation of, of the parable, I guess you'd say, to Jeremiah. In verse 12, even though he admonishes people to correct their ways and turn from their evil way, God says this in verse 12, but they will say, it's hopeless. We will continue to follow our plans, and each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Yikes. Can you believe that that's what God knows people will say? It is what people say, though, isn't it? And, and we need to talk about this. We need to think carefully about this because we don't, we don't want to be stubborn. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to fall prey to that trap. Uh, 
God predicts that people will be stubborn. That's what the statement here is about. But he doesn't want us to be. So what's what's going on here? I, I began to think about that a little bit and tried to sort that out a little bit. And you know, one of the questions that that really popped out to me at first when I looked at this is why do people respond that is hopeless? Why would that be what they would respond? But that's what God says. First thing, they will say it's hopeless. Why would people think that? You know, I want to assure all of us that it's not hopeless with God. That's the point, that God came to redeem and to restore. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of Jesus coming to take our sins upon himself at the cross, to come back to life, resurrection, to demonstrate that the power of sin and death was crushed in the resurrection of Jesus. And and we don't have to be afraid of that. We can participate in the life that he comes to give. But people seem to respond with hopelessness. So I, I thought we ought to think about that a little bit. Now, why might people be hopeless? Well, they might be hopeless because they think they cannot change. I understand that a little bit because sometimes we get ourselves in situations that maybe we didn't set out to be there. Maybe we made some decisions that resulted in that, but uh, by all intentions, we never thought we'd end up where we where we are. And so people might think that they're just stuck and there's no way they can change or there's no help for them. Uh, there's a lot of specific situations I could think of where people might say that, but but listen, hear what God would say to us. He would say there's always a way out of situations where we're doing the wrong thing. There's always a way out of the trap of sin. There's always hope because God wants to lead people, you, not just some people. God, listen, listen God wants to lead you to hope, and he wants to lead you out out of these situations where we feel trapped or maybe are trapped by sin. Now, believe me, there are situations that people do terrible things to other people and people find themselves trapped, and and, and I, I get all of that. But never, ever does God abandon people that want to follow him. Set your heart on following him and press through whatever circumstances you find yourself in, change your life, and trust him to help you. You see, when we give up in despair, that's not consistent with God's statement earlier in Jeremiah when he said, if people turn away from their sin, then he will relent on judgment. So so God wants to relent on judgment, it's just up to us to change. Now, some of you are still probably thinking, well, I, I just, just can't get over this. Let me, let me help you out a little bit more with that. Do you have even a small sense that what God is saying to you is right? And that, yes, there is a way out. Yes, there is hope. You have even the smallest sense of that. You see, and maybe you have a bigger sense. I, I, I hope so. But even the smallest sense, you need to realize that is God talking to you, saying, yes, 
Yes, and what he's asking you to do is cooperate with that grace he's extending to you. Now, you may have stiff-armed him for a long time, and so it may be difficult for you to realize that he he still is interested in you. But that fact that you're listening to this, the fact that you're hearing God speak to you, even as I speak to you, is evidence that grace is being extended to you, and God wants to help you. So don't despair. Don't fall into hopelessness. Never say, it's just the way I am. I've heard people say that when, when challenged on a behavioral issue. Well, that's just the way I am. You have to put up with it. Well, I'm sorry. If it's something that God wants to change in your life, if there's something that God needs to correct in your life, it's not just the way you are. It's the way you want to be. And you're just saying that you have no interest in, no desire, no willingness to hear the voice of God and make a change in your life. When all God wants to do is help you, help you. You know, so I, I wonder, you know, when I look at this passage, why didn't they believe what God said? Well, uh, I don't know that it says they didn't. Maybe they just didn't want to do what was right. You know, a lot of times the reason people don't turn toward God is because they just, they just don't want to do what God wants them to do. It's tragic. It's sad. Don't be one of those people. Ask yourself, why is it that I want to turn away from the God who cared enough to make it possible for me to live? Why do I want to turn away from that? Well, there's a, a statement here or a phrase in verse 12 that got my attention. I'll read the whole verse so you can understand the context of it. But they, their response as God talks about it being, it's hopeless we will continue to follow our plans, and each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Well, that got my attention, too. What's going on with this idea of stubbornness of his evil heart? Well, I did a little work on that and, and uh, discovered that in this, in this context, the way this idea of stubbornness is, is uh, conveyed and meant to be understood is that there's a resolute adherence to their own ideas or desires. You see, that's what trips us up, isn't it? We are so determined to follow our way. Pride gets in the way, and we won't be humble enough to realize that God is talking to us. And so we have this resolute sense that I'm going to stick to my ideas, even if it means I crash and burn. Well, according to the Bible, that, that means you will crash and burn. Uh, perhaps they're saying we couldn't care less. You know, one commentator I studied said that maybe that's the expression there that they that the people are really saying they couldn't care less. And some people are that way. They somehow think they can, well, just take their chances with God, but it's not a good thing to take your chances with God, okay? Uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna come out ahead. You're just not. Uh, so I think about this a lot. I think about pride a lot. I think, Man, that has tripped people up. It's tripped me up. It's probably tripped you up. We live in a world that that uh, protects itself, and pride enters into that. And and so, you know, I want us to think about that pride and what it does to people. Uh, I often ask myself, why is it that so many people say they believe in God, but they don't attend a church anyplace? You know, a lot of people, yeah, I believe there's a God, but they don't pay him any attention. They don't go to church. Sometimes people even say, well, I'm not going to church because of those kind of people at church. 
Well, <laughs> well, I know what kind of people are at church. I've been around church all my life. And I know there's some absolutely terrific people. And I know every now and then you come across someone that requires extra grace. Well, that's okay. It's a place for all of us. It's a hospital for the hurting. It's not meant to be a display case for all of us who are per perfect. It's a place where God makes his grace available and helps us become what he imagines us to become. Well, so why don't people attend church? And one of the things that occurred to me, and, and here you go, I hope you're sitting down. If you're driving while you're listening, be careful, keep your eyes on the road. Don't, don't get shaken by this. But it, it dawned on me as, as I was working on this and as God was helping me that it occurred to me that a lot of people don't go to church because of arrogance. Arrogance. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, they're always talking about how those church people are this or those church people are that. And and I I agree. I've already said that, that people are flawed. People do outrageous things. I've been there. I know. I have been subject to that in my lifetime. People sometimes have asked me, how come I continue to be a pastor? Well, you just got to do what God wants you to do, and you got to learn to deal with some of that stuff and overcome it, you know, rise above it. But some people, they're just so arrogant that they just want to blame somebody else, and that's their, their excuse uh, for not attending church. Now, we don't have an excuse for arrogance. You know, when we're blaming other people for our non-church attendance, it's because we're saying we're better than they are. Hmm. Now, what kind, what kind of a person is that that says, well, I'm better than everybody else. I don't need God. Well, that's, you know, we need to think seriously about that. Or, or people might say, well, that church doesn't. And they might cite some deficiency in that church, some, something that they think the church should do that the church doesn't, or something that they think is right that the church misses. Well, maybe they're right. I don't know. Maybe that church has missed something important. I don't know. No church is perfect. Um, the thing that you need to ask yourself, though, is not to sit in judgment of that church, but to evaluate and say, okay, where is a church that is biblically focused? Where is a church that will help me be biblical in my life? Where, where can I find a church that will help me be faithful? That's the point. It's not a reason to dismiss a church. It's a reason to say, okay, I need to find the church that will challenge me. You see, some people, they look for a church that won't challenge them. And as soon as they get challenged, they hit the road. They're out the door. Well, who was that pastor to say that? Or or who is God that he thinks I need to change this way? Well, God uses the church and the and the life we share with each other to, to grow us in his direction. And sometimes people don't want to be challenged. But look for a church that's closest to the Bible and, and make it your church home. That's important. Don't fall into the arrogance like these people did in verse 12. Because the end is not good. If you turn over to the next chapter, I believe it's the next chapter in Jeremiah, you know, chapter 19, again, God comes to Jeremiah and he tells him to go buy a, a clay jar, a potter's clay jar. And he goes out and he talks to the people and, and you know, again, admonishes them to do what's right and to do the, the, um, the thing that God is calling them to do, to turn away from evil. And then he uses that clay jar as an object lesson to show them what will happen when they don't. And God says, shatter the jar in the presence of the people. It's a way of proclaiming to them what the Lord's word is. You see, our, our choice as people is salvation or shattering. 
Do we want to respond to God so that he can save us and make us the people he's always imagined we could become, or do we want, want him to shatter us? See, that's the, that's the outcome. And that's where this imagery of the clay pot really, really works. As long as we're pliable to allow God to shape us the way a jar on the potter's wheel is pliable and the potter can shape that jar. As long as we're pliable, we might, <clears throat> pardon me, we might say malleable, then God can help us and God can shape us. But if we harden our hearts through the stubbornness mentioned in verse 12, then we become rigid the way a, a pottery piece, a clay jar becomes when it's been through the kiln and it's, and it's hardened. And then when it's dropped, it shatters. And this is the imagery God wants to help us avoid. He doesn't want to shatter people. He's not about destruction. He's about salvation. And that's what he wants for you. And that's what he wants for me. That's what he wants for all of us. He just wants us to, to get it right. And he doesn't surprise us. He doesn't trick us. He tells us plainly, here's what I expect you to do. Uh, he, then he even goes a step farther and he helps us do it. So when you run across that something you don't think you can do, and yet God wants you to do it, and you have this idea, well, maybe I could, that's grace. Cooperate with that grace. That spark of hope that, well, maybe it would be better if I forgave that person. That's grace. That's what God wants you to do. So, see, we shouldn't fight that. We shouldn't resist that. We shouldn't push that away. We should lean into that because that's grace. That's God extending the opportunity for you to cooperate with grace so that he can help you overcome life's difficulties, so he can help you grow in his direction, so he can help you have faith or absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. See, God wants to help us. Uh, I sometimes, maybe this will help, I sometimes think of this grace, this idea that there's a spark in us that says, maybe I should listen to God. I, I like to think of grace this way. Grace is the gift of God. And so that's that spark. That's that gift. That's God coming saying, here, 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 grace. That's that spark. That's that gift. Grace is the gift of God that enables the people of God. And see, by reaching out with grace, he wants you to be one of his. So that's why I say grace is the gift of God that enables the people of God, because if you respond to God's grace, you're one of his. And so he enables you as one of his to accomplish the will of God. See, grace is the gift of God that enables the people of God to accomplish the will of God. All those things you thought you couldn't, by grace you can. See, God not only tells us, here's what I want you to do, he gives us grace that says, and I'm going to give you the strength, the resolve, the tenacity, the perseverance. I'm going to give you the humility. I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish my will. See, that's grace. Grace, the gift of God that enables the people of God to fulfill the will of God. And when we fulfill the will of God, then we're doing what God asked us to do. Then we're doing what we're admonished to do in Jeremiah 18. Then we're learning the lesson from the potter's house, that God is shaping us into his image and making us his. 
There's another place in the New Testament that talks about changing us, and there's an old song, From Glory to Glory, He's Changing Me. You know, I don't know if people even want to sing that song. I get it. It's dated. The music is dated, but the message is not. From glory to glory, He's changing me. You see, that's what He wants to do. His likeness, He's perfecting in me. Go look up that song. Make it your theme that God is going to change you from glory to glory. See, he doesn't want to make you worse. He wants to make you better. He wants to take the bitter in your life and make it sweet. We've all been through bitter stuff. None of us have been exempt from that, unless maybe you're two, and I'm pretty sure you're not, or you wouldn't be listening to this. We've all been through that stuff. We've all had disappointments. We've all had people that have hurt our feelings. We've all had people that have betrayed our confidence. And that's why Jesus came, to die, to break the power of that canceled sin, to set the prisoner free as the hymn goes. That's why Jesus died, so that we could be changed from glory to glory, because he wants to change us so that we are his and he is ours. So do you want to be saved or you'd want to be shattered? It's about salvation. That's always been what God is about. From the very beginning, from the moment sin entered the world in Genesis to now and until the end of time, God's desire for people is salvation. Don't stiff arm him. That spark of hope, that spark of, of, well, maybe I should, that kind of I want to, but I don't know if I can all that kind of stuff. That's God working in us. That's him extending grace. What's to keep you from cooperating with that grace? Really? What's to keep you from cooperating with that grace? Nothing except yourself. No person outside yourself can stop you. No group of people can stop you. Nothing can stop you. Got a sorry rascal at work? <laughs> oh, there I go again. God gives us grace for those people that require extra grace. You might have a sorry rascal at your church. God gives us grace for those situations. And you know, it might just be, and wouldn't this be remarkable? Wouldn't you really love this? That that person who causes you the most challenge might be the one that God wants to use you to help. Maybe they are stuck in a, in a place that they don't know how to behave differently. Maybe their life took some turn that, that they just, they can't quite negotiate. And so it's made it, made it come out of them in ways that aren't really very good. I don't, I don't know who it is, but wouldn't it be remarkable if God was trying to give you grace to help them? You see, that's the point that God says, I want to bring salvation. I don't want to shatter your life. I want to help and put together. Will everyone respond? No, but I hope you will. Because when you do, you may even give someone else the courage to move in God's direction. And that would be absolutely terrific. Absolutely terrific. Well, we've had quite the heavy conversation today on faith is, and sometimes it is that way. Uh, we started out with a potter's wheel illustration and discovered that that God in all of that, he wants to make us a remarkable end product. He wants to form us. 
in his image from glory to glory. And we need to cooperate with grace to allow him to do that. And I hope you'll share that message with some people. Maybe somebody you know needs to hear this. And maybe it's hard for you to communicate to them, but maybe you'd recommend this program to them. Maybe you would say, hey, listen to this podcast or or tune in the next time this is on and you need to hear what God is saying to us. Because God has important things to say and, and you might be able to help that that person. And recommending the podcast to them could be a real gift to them. And, and I would appreciate it, not because of, of anything it does for me, but it's so good to know that God can help people, all kinds of people. And you might be a part of that. You just never can tell. So as we move toward the end of the program, I'm reminded that, that we challenge each other and help each other. We encourage each other and stretch each other. We're just people on a, on a pilgrimage, walking through life, following Jesus, not doing the best we can, doing what he calls us to do, enabled by, empowered by his grace. Not, oh, well, what a difficult time I have, but, oh, my, what a great Savior helps me. And I can overcome this, and I will by his grace, because his grace is extended to even me. And, you know, that's why we call grace amazing, because of what it helps us overcome, and because he extends it to the likes of us. I can't imagine. Lots of people would tell you this. They can't imagine where they'd be without grace. But the reality is God extends his grace to all of us, every single one. And if you're hearing this and sensing that, cooperate with that grace, move in his direction, go to church, make it part of your life, and trust God because he is trustworthy and we can have faith in him. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk some more and encourage each other even more to follow God next week. I hope you'll join us then.